The following is a presentation of the Bellip Sports Media Network. You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. Welcome to the show, everyone. Happy 2024. It's a brand new year. We're going to kick it off with lots to talk about. Trevor, how are you doing? How's 2024 been for you so far? Well, 2024 has been uh, really good so far until last night when the cold snap here in the Calgary area is starting to roll in. We're going to enjoy some balmy temperatures in the minus 20 to minus 30 degrees Celsius range. And uh, lots of snow on the ground. Uh, my lucky wife is heading to Phoenix, Arizona on Tuesday, so she gets to miss it. And I get to deal with uh, the crappy cold weather. But, you know, all kidding aside, you already mentioned it. But, you know, Christmas and New Year's are now over. We took a little bit of a break uh, in between the uh, the holiday season and spent some time with family, friends, watch some sports, hang out, play video games, play board games. Ken, it was, it was a good time with yourself. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I was lucky. I got three stats built in there. So I took two days off to get 10 in total, including weekends. And it was just nice to relax. You know, it was uh, the little guy's first Christmas. And that was a lot of fun to just kind of, you know, at uh, eight, eight, eight and a half months or so, he's not really sure what the hell is going on. But uh, he started to get a little more excited and interested as they got closer to Christmas. And he, you know, realize that the present there's presents on the floor and what are these and wanting to open them. So it was good. It was uh, relaxing. And I don't know how, how the hell I managed it, but uh, you know, the wife and I managed to stay up till about one o'clock every night. And whether it was just relaxing, playing games, watching movies, um, not really, you know, realizing it wasn't a great idea when he's waking up at seven or earlier sometimes. Yeah. So it's uh it was good. The first week back to work was painful in many ways of like, oh God, I have to get up at 515 again. Um it uh but it it was good. It was a nice little break. It was uh good to be home and you know, most our family's all back in BC, so there was a lot of uh FaceTime visits and and talking to family that way, but it was it was a good time. Yeah, now for the listeners that may not know, when Ken talks about work, I think this is coming from a guy who maybe worked 10 five day work weeks all year of the 52 weeks available. Like, uh, I think he had 17 weeks of holidays this year and unlimited amount of um, extra days off to, you know, to, to get, you know, two, three, maybe a four day work week if we were lucky. Yeah. <laughs> uh- you tell me where you where the flaw is at in there, and uh, I'll look at it. You know, yeah, it was a bit of an interesting year vacation wise because I normally would purchase vacation to go from three to four. Last year, not realizing I was going to four weeks, and then with our, our little guy on the way, I purchased two for six. Well, let me tell you, um, it's a lot, and as kind of. You're going to probably say, yeah, okay, sure. It was a little difficult at times to figure out how I was going to use it all. Uh, But yeah, I did manage to turn it into a lot of extra long weekends. And again, 
I don't see a flaw in that. Uh, yeah, you know. I don't think you know what a five-day work week feels like. No, to be come, fair. Come Thursday, come Thursday it, Friday next week, you're going to be like, what the hell is this? Yeah, but to be fair, uh, we're going into the second week of 2024. It will be my first five-day uh, work week, followed up into a four-day work week. So two out of the first three have already uh, only worked for four days, so. Tough life, Ken. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's rough. I, I someone's got to do it. I threw my hand up. I have no problem uh, taking that mantle on of uh, working only four days a week and getting nice. paid for five. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, for today's show, Ken and I, there, there's so many little things that we want to touch on this week. That well, not even so much little things. There's so many things that we just in general want to touch on. Uh, and, and just lots of fun, interesting, are you kidding me type uh, stories this week. So for the most part, Ken and I are just going to have a, a full episode of almost are you kidding me. There's a couple of main topics at the end. Got to touch on our Blue Jays uh, and the lack of doing anything. We want to talk about the World Juniors. But for the most part, it's just going to be a very fun back and forth kind of what the hell is this story kind of week and episode? So I'm very much looking forward to it. I love our, are you kidding me? It's a chance to have fun, call out stupid shit and just, you know, have, have some good laughs. You touch on some stories that are just make you shake your head. So Ken, I'm very much looking forward to pretty much a whole episode of, of an, are you kidding me? I, I, I it's just good times and some good laughs will be had. Yeah. And the thing was, it, it really wasn't, that hard to come up with a lot that is probably going to fill our our time here today um there's just a lot of stuff that's gone on and and it's just some of it some of it's not necessarily bad some of it's like oh wow okay that's uh that's something and to, to the positive and we're going to hit on one of those but uh just a lot of things going on i think it's i don't know if it's a good thing it's probably a good thing for us that it's easy to come up with these cuz i think we only had two <laughs> Two things really to to get going on when we sat down to uh, start this episode, and we came up with a, a lot more. So we got about went from two to eight. So I mean, like, let's kick it off. And I think I sent this to you yesterday, Trevor. There was a tweet that came out. Uh, newly signed Dodger Yamamoto. He's got his three hundred and twenty-five million dollar contract over like, the ten years, kind of thing. It's in his contract that he cannot be sent down to the minors without consent. Now, to me, I'm like, I, first off, I'm like this is unheard of. Like, what the hell? Like, what the hell is this? But you know, when we we talk about contracts in different sports in the NHL, you have no movement clauses. You have no trade. No trade clauses. I think are a little bit more accepted. They're more regular these days. It's not a shock. To see that a no movement clause usually goes to a player that's been around for a while, has kind of earned that right to call the shot on where they go and and things like that. Which a no movement clause does say hey, you can't send me to the minors, but in hockey they'll just buy your ass out and say see you later anyways. But what I find absolutely mind boggling about this clause in his contract is Yamamoto has yet. To throw a pitch or be on a major league baseball field so how in the hell is he able to get that in his contract for anyone that's never played a game in in the bigs 
right? Like, yeah, he very dominant player in Japan, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the major league uh, arena, right? Like the major league is something else. And we've seen it before where players from different leagues come over and they shine or they, they just go away real quick. So I, I found this very interesting. Well, from somebody who has lots of experience spending $325 million at a time, you know, I'm going to weigh in on my valued opinion here. First of all, if I'm Yamamoto, I'm laughing my ass off to the bank because I just got paid $325 million. <laughs> Suckers. And I have protection that if I suck, I'm still going to make $325 million with essentially no repercussions. If I'm the Dodgers, are you kidding me? Like, you had to have a clause in there that pretty much gave the player a note to convince him to come sign for you. Maybe. I don't know. It, it just seems it, it reeks of almost desperation in my fact that you were so, so badly wanted him. And I get it with the Otani building the relationships, trying to, you know, they do have to keep Otani happy because apparently he can opt out of this this contract. If, you know, say there isn't success and ownership management fails. Sure. I get it. You, you have to, Build that competitive team because you told Otani you would. Surely you could have got this contract done without that clause. Like you're giving the player a free out to suck. I'm not saying he's going to suck, but you're giving the player an out to just not put forth a full effort. I believe other parts of this contract are like he gets his own personal trainer and his own like doctor or something like that. Like and maybe that's common. Maybe I'm, I can't say I'm exactly, I haven't signed to new major league baseball contracts in my life. Uh, I think the grand total is zero to be completely honest. It just, it seems odd to me that you would have to throw that type of a clause in there and the player's just laughing his ass off to the bank. Like I can't figure this one out. It's just, again, it reeks of desperation in my opinion by the Dodgers, but Hey, if they're hoisting a championship banner for, you know, three of the next five years, well, then they're the ones laughing their ass off to the bank. Only time will tell, but it, it just kind of to your point, for a guy who's never thrown a pitch in baseball, you're sure giving him a lot of protection. Yes, yeah. Nuts to me. Well, you said something there, and I want to kind of touch on this, is like, you know, reeks of desperation. So there's two things there. Like you said that, and uh, you win three championships in five years. One, based on everything that's gone on this offseason, they've spent a billion dollars on like pretty much two players. They signed who else did they got? They got um there's Otani, then the pitcher. Who, who well, they, they got yeah. in a trade. Um yeah, Glass and then resigned him. Yeah, Glass now. Then they traded for him, signed him over a billion dollars in essentially two and a half players, because it really went to Yamamoto and Otani. Did the Trastros break the Dodgers? Because ever since then, they've been, as you said, so desperate to win. You know, Mookie Betts, Clayton Kershaw, the money they've thrown at players to try and win since then without the success that, like, it shows money doesn't buy championships. It right? helps. <laughs> it oh, helps. Abso absolutely. But, like, Really? Are you listening, Ross Atkins? Yeah, apparently not. But <laughs> we'll get to that later. Because look at this. Like someone said, 
they've spent all this money and they might go from 110 wins to 115. Like, still isn't going to guarantee the playoff success. They're already a team that's winning in the division in, by a lot. Like, they're winning way more than they're losing, but they can't finish. So this billion dollars they've spent over the next 10 years better produce more than three in five years. Like this team needs to win almost a championship a year. Justify, I think what the hell they've done. Cause this is just, it's an insane amount of money they've spent. Um, to try and be that team that they think they are. Well, I'm just going to throw this out there. Red Sox fans wish they were the Dodgers right now. You got the Red Sox who are a big market team acting like a small market team shedding salary left, right and center Moving on from Chris Sale, which I I actually support that move, but you know yeah. they're they're actively shedding salary. The Blue Jays, as a Blue Jays fan, we're wishing our team would spend some money this offseason. You know, maybe it's just a, a tad bit of jealousy on our side that our teams aren't doing it. And but uh, to your point, it, it doesn't guarantee anything. Only one of thirty-two teams a year can win a championship. But you know, if I'm have to be honest, I kind of like the Dodgers' chances this year. Yeah. <laughs> they they look like a good team. Smart moves can win you championships. It doesn't mean you got to spend a billion dollars to do it. So, I, I don't know. I just thought that clause in his contract was absolutely in, insane when this guy has yet to step, not to step on a field and do anything at this level. It's almost like handing a, a guy out of college in his first deal, a no movement clause in, in hockey or any other sport. It just, it doesn't make sense. And I'm going to move on to another thing that doesn't make sense in my opinion and kind of oddball contracts. And this says a couple of contracts actually are affected by this. And, and I want to bring it back to our beloved Canadian football league. We haven't actually talked about Canadian football in a while. So I'm excited to bring up this topic. Over the weekend, the Edmonton Elks, inexplicably, in my opinion, went out and brought in free agent quarterback McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Signed him to, I believe it's a two-year deal. Am I correct, Ken, or is it only one? I think it's two. I haven't seen it yet. It's uh, the CFL. Do you ever really know? They they give you a 74-year contract, and we'd never know. But they go in and bring in McLeod Bethel-Thompson. This has a domino effect. And I'm going to kind of go through the dominoes here. First domino effect, one of our favorite quarterbacks to ever play for the Edmonton Elks, Taylor Cornelius Amarillo, as you know, by Matt Dunnigan, is gone. He is now cut. Well, there's ramifications to this. Cornelius is the first player in CFL history that is actually going to count as dead salary cap money against the Edmonton Elks salary cap. And I will tell you now, in the CFL... $100,000 is a lot of money against the salary cap. I don't have an issue with them jettisoning Cornelius out of town. Only one a one-year for Bethel Thompson. Sorry, it's a one-year deal. I don't have an issue with them jettisoning Cornelius out of town. That guy was not it. He was or not me. it. But he does count against the salary cap. So to me, I'm shaking my head at Chris Jones, as we do numerous times. That's a whole other topic. You, you got dead money on your cap. Unheard of in the CFL. Cornelius, gone. Now, do I believe he'll probably find a home elsewhere? I think so. You know, he can be a backup quarterback in the league. He's not a starter. So that's domino number one. 
poor roster management by Chris Jones. You don't have dead money on your cap. Poor decision number two, Trey Ford. Young, upcoming Canadian quarterback in the league. Flashes of brilliance last year. Ken, now, you and I kind of differ on Trey Ford a little bit, I think. Like, I think he's a dynamic, exciting player. Do I think he's the answer? Not necessarily, but I do think there's development there that would allow him to potentially become a superstar in the league. Um, in terms of an NFL quarterback, close comparison, kind of a young Cam Newton, kind of a young Michael Vick, can run like craziness, can you know just electrify, can shed you know, can shed uh, pass rush, can make crazy plays with his feet, run pass, very young, exciting player. Well, what have you now said to this player? You made him your starter last year, about you know five or six weeks into the season after the Elks were what? I, it was later than that. One and five. Yeah, it might have been a little bit later. Each it season. was later in the season. It was already well done. Yeah, the Elks season was over. I, I think they were zero and twelve on the season, or maybe a couple wins sprinkled in there. But they they moved on from Cornelius. Started trade four. They actually started to win some games. They ended like a brutal home losing streak. They. We're actually within a couple points, shockingly, of making the playoffs. And Trey Ford was exciting. Now, to be fair, he only passed for 2,000 yards last year. Uh, he still threw a few too many interceptions. Like, he was throwing an interception uh, per start, which I didn't see if that was a terrible. But, again, he had 12 TDs to six interceptions in his, in his let's say, his eight games started. And I don't know the exact numbers. But he was electrifying. But what have you now said to this quarterback? It's it's always been a belief that Chris Jones, Trey Ford was never a Chris Jones guy. Well, he just proved that. He went and brought in McLeod Bethel-Thompson, a two-time Grey Cup champion. Now he's really only the starter for one time. But you've essentially just stunted Trey Ford's growth. Have you also just stunted him wanting to stay in Edmonton past his current contract? Are the Edmonton Elks now two years away from not having a quarterback again? I just, I don't like this move. And it's not because I don't like McLeod Bethel-Thompson. I think that he's he's a starting quarterback in the CFL. He threw for close to 4,000 yards in his last season with the Argos. He won a great cup in his last season with the Argos. Now, he, he definitely has some interception issues uh, throughout his career, um, in his career in the CFL, he's thrown 49 interceptions in four seasons. So roughly 12 a year, 70 touchdowns, lots of yards though. Like 4,700 yards in 2022. He had 4,000 yards in 2019. So like in full CFL seasons, he's a four to 4,500 yard per game or uh, per season quarterback. That's lots interceptions are a problem with this guy. Consistency is a problem with this guy, but he's still, in my opinion, a legit CFL quarterback, but you just stunted the growth of Trey Ford, who has the ability to be the next superstar. He actually kind of, Trey Ford kind of reminds me of Nathan Rourke a little bit, a Canadian upstart who could be a superstar in this league. I don't think his passing's as good as Nathan Rourke, but his scrambling ability is, and I think you've just gotten in the way of a potential superstar quarterback. I don't get it. I just don't. 
Well, I mean, you said this is Chris Jones poor manager. I don't know if I'm going to throw roster in because he's just piss poor at everything he does. Chris Jones is probably the worst coach GM the CFL seen in a long time. Um, the move makes no sense. I am not a McLeod Bethel Thompson fan. I don't. I don't think he's the answer to any question being asked in that with that team. Um, he's not the answer. He's not the system. He's none of those things that get thrown around in the NBA. Um, you know. Very poor signing by Edmonton. Makes no sense. I agree. It stunts Trey Ford. Um, Cornelius did, should have been gone before the season even started because he was absolutely horrible. Um, the Elks. So I, I brought up the stats. He came in. Trey Ford, week 10 against Winnipeg was 12 for 16, 189 yards. That kind of started everything. Whether that was a start or coming in, I, I don't recall or care enough about the Elks to really remember. But he came in week 10 is when the, the Trey Ford experiment started. You know, from week 10 to week 20, he had 12 TDs, six interceptions, averaged 9.6 yards in the air, uh, 153 out of 227 in passing. Like, those are some decent stats. Like, the Elks were dog shit for the entire year. They were this year before as well. And I think that might even be generous to describe how they played. Um, they set a modern-day record for home losing streaks in all sports. Um, they finally made that change and to go to Trey Ford. And as you said, they missed the playoffs only by a little bit. They were on your Stampeders' tails at a certain point there. It was like I was just waiting for that moment where I could just be like, how the hell did you get passed by the Elks? Like I was yeah, didn't happen in, though. internally <laughs> dying, waiting for that moment to happen <laughs> to give me the joy of just like nonsense. I'd still be texting you about it today if it happened, but it didn't. It didn't. Uh, it didn't and it's because of Chris Jones and his mismanagement of everything. He had a rotating roster throughout McLeod Bethel Thompson. When I say it's not the answer is because, you know, you talk about how many yards he has and, and the touchdowns, and yes, the interceptions are bad, but how many times did he lose his job in Toronto? How many times, like Toronto brought in, didn't they bring in Harris at a time to replace him as well? Like there always seemed to be that waiting for the other shoe to drop with MBT because he isn't the guy, he isn't the answer. And yeah, he put together a 4,000 yard season in a Grey Cup in his final year there. But how much of that was him versus they loaded up? Like he was well protected with receivers and Andrew Harris and others to make sure that that team was going to win because it was in Toronto too, wasn't it? Like they were hosting. Yeah. Um, so it's like the world, you know, the whoever's hosting the Memorial Cup in, in the CHL loads their team up to make sure they're either winning the championship and getting in that way or they're going to be good getting in the back door as the host. I don't think it's the answer. I don't think like if they wanted to bring him in on a low dollar deal to be Trey Ford's backup and mentor, sure. I don't think we'd have this conversation. But this is a one year five hundred thousand dollar contract. Yeah. And, and Trey Ford's gonna sit there again. Um oh, who was the other quarterback they had that they ended up using short yardage? Kai Kai uh, Loxley. Was it that like he uh he was another guy that underused, only given 
like no leash to actually try and do anything. The second they put him in, he has like two bad plays and now in comes Trey Ford. Like it just, Chris Jones is not the answer until they get some roster stabilization in there where they're not seeing 15 new guys every week. Like, I think it's just the Elks are the Elks are going to Elk. That's what they pretty much bring it boils down to. Yeah. For as long as Chris Jones are there. Before we move on, I just actually want to touch on a couple other pieces of CFL news from this week. Uh, Dane Evans of the uh, winner, uh, sorry, BC Lions, uh, former Hamilton Tiger Cats, announces his retirement from the CFL. I actually had kind of wondered if Dane Evans was the kind of guy that the Edmonton Elks might go after as a little bit of a security blanket for Trey Ford as opposed to a guy like McLeod Bethel-Thompson. You know, Dane Evans, speaking of guys at inconsistency, the guy had all the tools in 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 the chest. He could never, ever, ever put it together for like six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks in a row. He'd have like one game of throwing for 500 yards and then he'd followed up with a game of throwing for 500 interceptions. Like Dane Evans had all the tools in the box and could never put the consistency together. I always really liked Dane Evans when your BC Lions brought him in last year as a security blanket. I actually really liked that move. I kind of actually was hoping my Calgary Stampeders were going to do that. He was so, you know, I'm going to miss Dane Evans. I always liked him. I just liked the way he played. Uh, rumor is he's got some coaching opportunities south of the border in the United States that he wants to pursue. So, you know, excited about Dane Evans. So the second piece of information goes back to ex-Calgary Stampeder and current Hamilton Tiger Cat, Bo Levi Mitchell, restructuring his deal. Shockingly, in my opinion, yeah, stay in Hamilton. This is almost another, are you kidding me? Like at the end of the year, when Hamilton got eliminated in the playoffs, Bo didn't even really see the field. He had some pretty harsh things to say about the Ticats organization. And more or less said, you, you, you didn't even put your starter in the game to try to win the game. Kind of shocked that Bo Levi Mitchell restructured his contract to stay in Hamilton. Now, I have to believe he had some assurances from ownership and management that he was going to get the bulk of the majority starting snaps. Sure, Uh We'll see how that plays out. Bo Levi Mitchell's best before date was back in 2020. It's been, you know, injuries really derailed a Hall of Fame career. Like when he was a Calgary Stampeder, he's uh, uh, one of the best quarterbacks in team history and league history. Unfortunately, injuries derailed it. And come 2020, his production and whatever just dropped off. I'm kind of surprised Hamilton wanted to bring him back because he hasn't been good for three or four years now. But we'll see. I am excited, though, that Calgary Stampeders home opener this year is against Bo Levi Mitchell and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It's Bo's return to McMahon Stadium. Highly looking forward to this. We get to see it because for some are-you-kidding-me type material last year, the CFL felt like Hamilton didn't need to play in Calgary even though it had one of the best storylines of the season involved with it. So selfishly looking forward to getting Bo Levi Mitchell back on McMahon Stadium turf. I, for one, will give him a standing ovation. As a longtime Calgary Stampeders season ticket holder, Bo was awesome when he was here. You know, didn't win as many great cups as we should have, unfortunately, but still one of the all-time greats. But I am shocked that Hamilton did bring him back. I Well, I'm not surprised he restructured. No one else is going to sign him. I think like that was just a, I think he took a, 
look inside and said, I might not be done, but I know I'm not going to get a contract anywhere else. So I'm not surprised he, uh, he restructured and, and with Dane Evans, I wouldn't be too surprised if you see his name pop up in the newly merged XFL, USFL, uh, UFL 100%. league, uh, 100%. as a, as a quarterback, I think, uh, chance to play closer to home and with, uh, as much, if not possibly more money. So we're going to switch gears from the gridiron and we're going to head back to the, to the diamond with this next. Are you kidding me? Um, and it comes with the retirement and it's not supposed to retirement. That is a, as a, a shock, but a stat that came out afterwards, Trevor regarding Michael Brantley, who played uh, 10 years in Cleveland, five in Houston. He had 6,149 plate appearances of that he struck out 658 times only of that he struck out looking only 210 times 62 of those pitch was out of the strike zone like that is just an unheard of stat this is a guy who averaged 689 plate appearances a season over 162 games and only struck out on average 74 times a season that's insane that is just an insane eye at the plate and uh you don't see those type of numbers very often when it comes to a player which then you know maybe puts up a question here is michael brantley a hall of fame player I don't know if he's a Hall of Fame player. Michael Brantley was one of those guys I always wanted to wear, have him wearing a Toronto Blue Jays jersey. I loved this guy. He was a Blue Jay killer in his career. You knew you were facing Michael Brantley that day. He's going to go three for five with two doubles and, and two RBIs every time he faced the Toronto Blue Jays. This guy had one of the sweetest swings in baseball, actually kind of reminded me of John Olerud a little bit. Just this nice, smooth, easy, crisp swing. I wanted this guy so bad to be in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform. What was it, in 2019? We thought we had it. Remember yeah. what we got? Was the Springer. George Springer. And there was the rumors that Brantley was coming along with them. And, and then all of a sudden, that one went to shit, disappointingly. Michael Brantley is everything that the Toronto Blue Jays have needed for the last, you know, three, four, five years, just a consistent left-handed bat. Are you listening, Ross Atkins? Left-handed bat with a little bit of pop, good average hitter, good situational hitter, phenomenal eye, as you just pointed out. Like, this guy had so many walks and hardly ever struck out. I have all the time in the world for Michael Brantley. He just played the game the right way, smart, and... Just he never struck out. He always yeah. got on base. I ah, how badly I wish he came with George Springer. Could have been so different. Congrats on a, a wonderful career, Michael Bradley, Hall of Famer. No, but definitely one of the what? players of our uh, one of the better. I can just call it average Joe type players of our era. He was just good. He wasn't phenomenal, but he was just good. And uh, I have all the respect in the world for him. Five-time All-Star as well. Five-time, wow. Five-time All-Star. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I mean, like it's just a crazy stat that he only 
struck out looking 210 times in over 6,000 plate appearances. Like just, just insane. I, I, this is one of those ones that you kind of like, man, okay, this is kind of a, a, a good thing here. Like, are you kidding me? It's just mind boggling, but Michael Brantley, great career. Um, let's stay with the diamond Trev. let's talk about a former uh blue jay pitcher now so it uh it kind of came out this morning and uh not overly surprised that marcus stroman is looking for employment and uh <laughs> has made it known that to the world and to the yankees themselves that marcus stroman would really like to sign with them to which the Yankees have said, yeah, no, we good. Um, apparently, years of trashing an organization doesn't buy you favor when you want to sign with them and work with them. Um, are you surprised, Trevor? I, I'm surprised they reached out to the Yankees, but <laughs> I guess when you're two-thirds of the way through the Major League Baseball offseason and you haven't signed a new contract yet, you're going to maybe expand your... Uh, cast your net a little bit wider might be a better way to put it, but, but let's be honest, this is a very slow moving off season in general for baseball. There's lots of big names still out there. There is, yeah. And it, it, there's lots of the the pitchers, especially not a lot of movement there. Listen, Marcus Stroman, I think Blue Jays fans will always have a soft spot in their heart for him, based on you know the, him saying things like, "I would never play for the Yankees. That organization's trash." I hate the Yankees, so we will always have a soft spot for Marcus Stroman. But fast you know, forward twenty twenty four, yeah, he's a good pitcher. He had a bit of a resurgent last year with the Cubs, where where he rebounded a little bit. But let's face it, since he's left Toronto, to a lot of fanfare, like he was supposed to be the next big thing. Him and Aaron Sanchez in Toronto, and it really only worked for maybe one or two years in Toronto. Outside of that, he wasn't that good he was good but he wasn't like superstar elite caliber and after he did move on it kind of that followed him a little bit I don't think maybe the expectations were too high on Marcus Stroman when he was young you know uh, Toronto's very good at doing that whether you're talking baseball hockey basketball you know putting unrealistic expectations on its players because it's like this mega market within Canada but, you know, Marcus Stroman, in my opinion, never really lived up to it. You know, with that being said, if he were to want to come back to Toronto and be our fifth starter on a team-friendly deal, absolutely, I would take him back. Kind of a, a low-risk, high-ceiling type uh, potential. But to go to the Yankees, I don't see it. I love the Yankees just more or less saying, yeah, we good. No, no, thank you. But you wait. He's going to be a Yankee before the end of the offseason just because that would be funny. <laughs> Well, I mean, you brought up a name that, like, I went, oh, shit, haven't heard that name in a while. Aaron Sanchez. Aaron Sanchez, you're right. Like, those two guys were supposed to be hand-in-hand, hand, the Jays, saviors, and future. Aaron Sanchez since, oof, really, 2018, since he left, has barely done anything in Major League Baseball. 2019, he split between... Toronto and Houston. Eerily and, similar to Nate Pearson, unfortunately, this whole yeah. hype for nothing. Like 
Strowman and Ed Sanchez very much remind me of that fanfare Nate Pearson came into the league with. And now it's like, is he even a ball at MLR of a major leaguer? Ugh. Yeah, like, I mean, like, a couple games from Minnesota, like, he might be toiling in, in the Diamondbacks minor league system right now, but he is not, currently not with a major league team. And so, yeah, I just thought it funny that Aaron, uh, not Aaron Sanchez, Stroman would come out and say he wants to be a Yankee with everything that's gone on. And, um, yeah, just it, you wanted, we talked about desperation in the, the Dodgers. I think uh, from a team side, there they were, you know, reeking of desperation. This this move of coming out and trying publicly saying he wants to be a Yankee just uh, reeks a little bit of desperation from Marcus Stroman. Now maybe he's got a real nice place in New York that he got when he was a Met and doesn't want to give it up and would rather the short commute. I I don't know, but uh, yeah, I just thought it was a little funny that he wants to be a Yankee. Uh, I hope he doesn't go there just because I, uh, I, I, as much as I, I liked Marcus Stroman as a J, I do not want to see him wearing the pinstripes. It's just gross. Any player wearing the pinstripe is gross. Yeah. I mean, it would make for some great signage at uh, Rogers Center when he comes and, you know, you could remind him of what he said in the past and you could, you know, make a little tribute video up on the big screen. <laughs> uh, let's head okay. to the ice. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, let, let's head to the ice here, Ken. I think we got a few topics we quickly want to touch on. I'm going to go with the very first one, and I think this happened earlier this week, uh, Wednesday night, I believe. Uh, I think it was the national broadcast, Wednesday Night Hockey on Sportsnet. And they're, they're in the intermission panel, there kind of became a bit of an exchange between um, Jennifer Bonnerill, um Jamal Mayers, and Sam Constantino, and, and Kind of about the state of kind of rough and tough hockey play as opposed to cheap and dirty and, you know, what's called for, what's not called for. Is the NHL archaic? You know, there's about a four-minute clip back and forth that I suggest, if you haven't heard it yet, take the time to listen to it. Because more or less how this stemmed was, I think it was Ryan Hartman, high-sticked, and I can't remember who it was Cole Perfetti. Cole Perfetti. Off of, intentionally off a of face-off, kind of in retaliation to a couple of cross-checks that happened to Kirill Kaprizov that you know ended up getting Kirill Kaprizov, you know, star player for the Minnesota Wild on injured reserve. You know, there was talk about you know how you know how dirty was that, and then you know Ryan Hartman intentionally doesn't win the face-off and sticks Cole Perfetti in the face, and it comes out after and and. You know, Perfetti comes out after and said, yeah, he did it on purpose. He told me he did it on purpose. This started an exchange between the two of them where Jamal Mayers and, and Sam Cosentino more or less said, well, that's the nature of hockey. You know, you know, tit for tat, eye for an eye. You know, I hurt you. You know, you hurt me. I hurt you. Just a very odd stance, in my opinion, to take. And I think it was Jamal Mayers uh, or Mike Cosentino who was kind of saying, you know, I didn't have an issue with the play. I had an issue with the target of the play. Like maybe we yeah, shouldn't be high sticking. It was Cosentino kind of. Maybe we shouldn't be high sticking young kids. And what kind of message does that send to young kids up and coming? But you know, had it been another player, it would have been okay. Blah 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 blah. It was just a bunch of dog shit. It was like one of the most random 
weird lines of defense I've ever seen taken on an intermission panel, more or less saying barbaric hockey is good. You know, eye for an eye is good because come playoff time, they just sent a message saying these two teams ever meet in the playoff, blah, 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 blah. It was just so weird. Jen Botterill more or less comes out and to the WTF are you guys talking about? This is just stupid. There's they're sending a message, you know, rough physical play, and then there's just cheap and dirty. And this is cheap and dirty. And you guys are idiots for talking about how archaic this viewpoint is archaic, and you guys are dumb and all oh, you know, way to go, Jen Botterill, to lean into these two for such she didn't a back stupid. Down. She did not back down because they kept and they kept persisting with their. They were their very persistent, and they were like, "No, you're wrong." And she's like, "No, you guys are idiots." Like again, watch the four minute clip. It was you know, Jen Bonnero played professional women's hockey. Team Canada won multiple gold medals, you know, multiple world championships at, uh, on a level. She knows hockey, what she's, she's talking su- about. She's more like, she knows what than she's Jamal talking Mayers about. Oh yeah, like, you know, Jamal Mayers was more or less just a you know a, he was a goon, an okay goon. But it was good on her. I appreciated it. Well done. Call them out for that stupidity. So, the, like, the, the play that... What Hartman did happens a lot of times, accidentally or not. The thing that happened is Perfetti said, yeah, he told me he did it on purpose. Hartman said, yeah, I did it on purpose. Right? Like, there was no hiding it tonight. But you see, how many times have you seen a guy get high-sticked off a face-off? Now you're going to wonder, okay... Well, let's look back. Was that intentional or was that an accident? Right? You know, hockey has this thing about self-policing. And I'm going to kind of take it to something that was brought up last night on Hockey Night in Canada by Kevin Bieksa relating a different incident. Hockey's always had that self-policing. Now, the Jets have, I guess, a couple different times targeted Kaprizov and ended up putting him out on, on the shelf for a little bit. And Kaprizov is their star player. Now, it wasn't Cole Perfetti who cross-checked Kaprizov enough times to put him out. It was Brendan Dillon. So, clearly, Ryan Hartman doesn't have the stones to set up to a Brendan Dillon and face him and say, hey, you took our best guy out. You and I, we're going to drop the gloves. If that happens, this conversation doesn't even exist in this world. It doesn't happen because... You handled it, you squared up, you dropped the fit, you, you know, drop the gloves, throw some fists. Whoever wins, wins. Even if Hartman loses, he still sent a message that you can't do that for free to our best player. Now, take it to the other side. Nick Cousins absolutely drilled Valamaki while he was on his knees along the boards and Terrible. from behind. Valamaki was already wearing a full face shield and on top of things. Drives his head into the board from behind. Very dirty hit. Zero call. Um, And now I've instantly... Jason Zucker. Jason Zucker. Yeah, I almost forgot his name. Jason Zucker says F you and gets him from behind into the boards. Exact same thing that he did. After the whistle. Like, I think we have to preface this. This all happened after the whistle. After the whistle, returns the favor, right? And and he got a three-game suspension for that. I don't think and anyone, right, rightfully including so, Zucker, I, is going to argue that. I don't think okay, he's going to. No one's you. arguing that. Yeah, like I don't. I don't think he gave a damn that he's going to get suspended for this because he just watched one of his teammates get drilled from behind in the board with zero, like 
accountability from the league. The ref was right there watching it, did not call a minute of a penalty on Nick Cousins. Cousins has done this to other players in several different headshots, right? And what Kevin Bieksa, Kevin Bieksa called Nick Cousins, or yeah, uh, Cousins a rat for the way he plays, targeting the head, dirty, cheap shots, and called out the league for not doing anything about it, right? Like Kevin Bieksa was a guy who played a hard physical game. No one will ever, you know, call Kevin Bieksa a finesse player. Right, like uh, Kevin Bieksa himself will never, except if you ask him about the game five goal against San Jose in 2011 that sent the Canucks to the Stanley Cup, he will never say he's a finesse player. He will tell you he 100% meant to roof that puck that no one saw except him and Luongo go in the net. This is a guy who played a very tough game, style of game, calling out someone for being an absolute rat. And he's, he talked about how the instigator rule has favored the rats. To continue on his um his theme there because there's no retribution right he used to he said that it used to have the really tough guys and then your finesse superstar players he said now everyone's at that same kind of toughness level but the rats get away with the rat plays because what are they going to get cousins has been doing this for a long time and hasn't been suspended once now i agree like you know he brought up Rafi Torres, who the league didn't like the type of hits he was throwing. So they hit him with a 25-game suspension. They hit him with a 41-game suspension. Now, did Torres necessarily learn from that? Maybe not. But he was at the end of his career. He also didn't get paid for 66 games, right? That's a message. If you start suspending the reputation a little bit and guys get hit, and the league actually polices it and gets these hits they want out of the game, out of the game by, by punishing people, you'll see less of them. But I really like to see Jen Botterill, Kevin Bieksa, calling out this bullshit hockey that goes on. Yeah, I, I 100% agree on that. It Let's let's sort this isn't the first time Nick Cousins has even done this this year, a very questionable hit. Not more than a couple of weeks ago, he lays a very dangerous hit on Eric Debranson as he's, you know, DeBranson's race back into the puck, kind of circle around the net, and Nick Cousins explodes into him from behind, knocks him into the boards, more or less shoulder first. You know, that kind of that six feet away from the boards is is widely known in NHL circles as kind of a taboo area to hit somebody from behind. Well, not to Nick Cousins. He absolutely drills them. And then, you know, Good Branson tries to get up after, you know, being hurt, tries to get up, go after him, gets stopped. Later in the game, goes after him and absolutely bear hugs and mauls him. And unfortunately, he didn't get a couple more good shots in on Nick Cousins. But again, Cousins didn't get suspended and Good Branson did. Yeah, that was good. Branson did, and again, it's that tit for tat that we were just saying is archaic. In this situation, I almost felt like it wasn't archaic because you got a guy out there playing recklessly who needs to face what he's doing. And I'm not saying and, it, you know the the Jason Zucker hit. I didn't, I didn't have an issue with it, but it's not right. He shouldn't no. have done that. He should have drilled him from behind. But he should have, somebody should have come around and in hockey world, you know, police themselves, Nick Cousins should have had to drop the gloves against these guys. What Nick Cousins does after, no, but what he does after all these hits, 
Like, good, Branson got suspended for trying to fight the guy, which is looking at a guy eye to eye and saying, yes. F you, we're going, right? You can either eat the fists or you can throw them yourself. But Nick Cousins turtles after every, every. single one of these and just lays on the ice, covers himself up, and lets someone else deal with his BS. And that is, if you want to play that style, take a guy like Esatikinen. He played that rough and tumble heavy hitting line possibly crossing style but possibly didn't. crossing <laughs> wow he was a are he you was a, kidding me he was a cut for a little while so i got you know but like those guys that played that style also took the ramifications from it right like if you're gonna play that way be prepared for the consequences and that's not a high stick to some rookie that isn't seeing it coming right like a fight is face to face. You know what's coming. If you want to play yeah. that style, be ready to reap the repercussions. Well, I, I had to take it back to a guy like Matthew Kachuk. That's something he had to learn through the course of his career. If he's going to play on the edge, he's going to have to, you know, face the consequences every once in a while. But he wasn't doing that earlier in his career, and I think he kind of realized, eh, you can't play that way and not fight your own battles every once in a while. And, you know, you just don't see that from every player. Nick Cousins, perfect example of it. Again, I don't like the tit for tat, eye for an eye, but if you're going to play a reckless, dirty style, you, you know, there's consequences. There's yeah. consequences to your actions. You have to be prepared to face the, and I'm going to call it the legal consequences of hockey. You're allowed to fight. Fighting yeah. is a, an accepted form of, um, retaliation around the league so do i believe that he should have got pulled in from behind by jason zucker dangerously no do i believe facing the legal consequence of hockey of having to drop the gloves and fight the guy you just played that dirty gun 100 you have I think, to do that i think if zucker knows he's willing to fight zucker doesn't do it zucker knows yep. he's going to turtle so zucker zucker gets him with his own spoon of medicine Right. Like, yeah. it, again, it's not right. The tit for tat cheap shot is not the way to go. Tit for tat. You hit my guy dirty. I, we're going to fight. That's the tit for tat. You should be in the game. There's a place. Yeah. People that say there's no place for fighting in the game. Get used to watching this cheap shot garbage. And the Nick Cousins of the world ruin the game. I'm going to stick on the ice here for one more topic. And unfortunately, over the weekend, young and up and coming superstar Connor Bedard. Took what some people are calling a questionable hit. I'm not. Um, mm. But unfortunately, has a broken jaw. Looks like he's going to miss some significant time. Disappointing because, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks have something here. Connor Bedard is electric. I know you you had a lot of negative things to say about him to start the year. You didn't think he was going to be a superstar. I, I no, think I, he is already. I wouldn't say I, negative. I just – leveling expectations. You were, you were down – I think you were downplaying the hype a little bit. And, and a I think little bit. I didn't think, I think it was he's fair lived up to the hype. Yeah, I think yeah, he's I, lived I, up to the hype. And I didn't, I didn't think the hype was fair because this hit goes into some of what I was saying, right? I, and I agree. I don't find this to be a dirty hit at all. This was a clean play. I don't either. Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a disappointing outcome to a play that happens relatively regularly. Unfortunately, it was a nothing play. Yeah, Bedard happened to reach for a puck, brought his head down a little bit while the defender was stepping up. 
And, you know, there ended up being head contact. He's got a broken jaw. I don't believe it was a dirty, malicious hit in any fashion. Does it suck when somebody gets hit in the head? Yeah, 100%. But we also saw in the World Juniors, you know, the difference in that rule where any head contact on any hits, a five-minute major, when and you were all of a sudden calling majors when you shouldn't have been. So there's kind of – you can – you can look at both sides of the argument and go head hit should be automatic penalty and go no head hit incidental contact shouldn't be a penalty. I didn't find this dirty. And, and, oh. you know, look at the world juniors, you ended up getting a five minute major on a player kicked out of the game when he you should also, have been. You also can't call penalties based on the fact that a guy's bigger than the other guy. In yes. Height, right. Like, cause then you're like, Oh, I got to go hit. Oh, he's five ten. I'm six, seven. I can't hit him. Cause any contact I put in arm down shoulder is going to be the, like, it was a nothing play. Smith stepped up, put his shoulder into his chest, arm was down. His skates were on the ice. He wasn't really skating into them. He just stepped up and made a play. And yeah, size wise, it cost him. And I, I don't, I wasn't, negative on batard i was just the hype was so much on him that my point was like give the kid a chance to acclimate to the nhl before you're anointing him a 65 goal scorer 147 <laughs> points and hoisting the calder Hart, um stanley cup the what's the playoff one the con smythe con smythe in his rookie year like the because one thing i said is he hasn't seen NHL defense before who are bigger, faster, stronger than he, anything he's seen before. And that was brought up last night on Hockey Night in Canada about he hasn't seen NHL defense before. He In, the, in juniors, he dipsy-doodled around everyone because he was heads and shoulder above better than everyone else. He's not that in the NHL. Is he better than a lot of people? Yes but he's not better than everyone. He can't dipsy doodle around everyone because this is going to happen. This was an unfortunate play. And you saw a lot of, obviously the people who thought it was dirty were Blackhawk fans. Obviously their superstars now out amongst 85 other of their regulars are oh. on the IR. I don't care. Screw the Blackhawks. They can all be on LTIR. Um, their roster is somehow worse than Arizona's for who the hell is that? But People were making the comparison. One guy, an Oilers fan, was making the comparison about, you know, all the lost season of McDavid when uh, Matheson took him out. for, And then this hit from Brendan S- Smith on Connor Bedard. It's not the same. Connor McDavid's one was a result of a not clean, dirty-ish hit play. This was a clean play. Like, it's not the same. Yeah. And, but unfortunately, the outcome's a little bit the same, and I hope Connor Bedard isn't out long-term, you know, uh, long enough for any of the games that the Calgary Flames get to play against them. Maybe there's a good thing, but... Well, he's probably not going to today. Woo! Yeah. He, he, <laughs> it doesn't look like he's going to be playing in Chicago's first visit to Vancouver, which is, you know, for him and his family, probably a yeah, disappointing a thing deal. because yeah. he is from Vancouver, and I'm sure Vancouver fans would have liked to see a homegrown player come in not unfortunately not in their jersey but in a blackhawks one it just one, uh it, one of the things that I, I don't, don't like, like it about, one of the things i don't like about this is we're just talking we're having to pay the piper tip for tat 
Unfortunately, Brendan uh, Smith's going to have to probably drop the gloves the next time he faces. Well, he did. Blackhawks. He did in that game. Or yeah, sorry, he already did in that game. But is there going to be further retribution where people feel like he still has to because he knocked, you know, Bedard out? It's like to me that wasn't a dirty play, and a guy no. then has to face retribution for what wasn't a dirty play. I think he got to face it for you know slashing the guy in the face on a face off or but. Like, I don't I, like the fact that he did have to drop the gloves in this game. In that instance, to me, it's not warranted. I, I almost need to get a puke bucket for what I'm about to say here. When Corey Perry had to fight Wayne Simmons after that Toronto-Montreal game in the bubble, where, unfortunately, Tavares was falling, and Perry, who I am no fan of by any means... Don't like him as a player. I think he's dirty. I think he's garbage. As a player on the ice, I don't know him personally, but that wasn't a dirty play. That was a very unfortunate incident where a bit of a collision. Like, I can't remember, did Tavares hit his own guy? And as he was falling, Perry's trying to get back in the play. Like, that was not a dirty play. And even on the ice, mic'd up, what you could hear Wayne Simmons is, well, I know he didn't mean it, but I'm still going still gonna to fight him. No, no, you don't. Like, the, this clean hit fight a guy is got to stop. Like, that is why the instigator is there. Because it getting to that point of, oh, you hit our stop, our top player. Like, Pedersen got hit the other night. I can't remember against who. And Zadorov dropped the gloves. And I was like, why? That wasn't necessarily a play that warranted you dropping the gloves. Wasn't a dirty play. PD wasn't hurt. It was just a hockey play, right? Like I, a Nick Cousins type play, drop the gloves. Uh, a strong hit along the boards, come on. I, and I know these guys are making the these decisions at a fraction of a second, but sometimes you got to, if it's in a situation like this where it's done, Polino went after Smith right away and then fought him later and then broke his own finger. Um, I think it's got to stop. Like it, it's just... The, the clean hit fight has to be done with. Okay, Ken, let's uh, let's move away from the ice. I know we're going to come back to it for our last uh, kind of topic we want to talk about, but let's move back to baseball. And we've already kind of referenced this a couple times in the show. we got to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays, Ross Atkins. You know, this guy just shouldn't be allowed behind a microphone. Let, I'm just going to straight up say this. Behind a general um, manager's desk. How about that? Yeah, maybe shouldn't be behind a GM's desk either. Earlier this week, you know, after the Jays have struck out on every free agent so far they've gone after, you know, Shoya Otani, we already talked about that last episode. Use you know, they're willing pawn. to spend, yeah, they're, they're willing to spend $50 million on Shoya Otani, but hey, they're not willing to spend any money on anybody else. And, and you know, our, our friend Atkins gets behind the mic this week and more or less says, we're actually kind of happy where we're at right now. We think we have a lot of, you know, internal candidates that are going to have bounced back seasons. And the reason they had a tough season last year is because we didn't insulate them enough and provide them the support that they needed. And we've made some changes there. And, you know, more or less, they got rid of their hitting guy, the, the hitting tactics guy and replaced him. Though he's still in the organization. And that's really all they've done. But they've more or less said, we're going to have a bounce back season. 
And we're happy having Santiago Espinal or Isaiah, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa or Kevin Biggio play full-time third base. We're happy to, you know, only have brought back Kevin Kiermaier, which I'm a big, don't get me wrong, I really like Kevin Kiermaier. But again, it's not the sexy splash that we were told we were going to get. He more or less comes out and says, you know, the Davis Schneiders of the world and the Kevin Biggio and Santiago Espinal's and then, you know, further to that, the George Springers, these guys are going to bounce back because we have better coaches. Are you kidding me? You just more or less told us you were willing to go after the big fish, but nobody else. And now we got to sit here and waste another season because our team can't hit a baseball. We're going to roll out, it looks like, two catchers, Kirk and Daddy Jansen. Kirk as the DH. Danny Jansen is the DH. We haven't brought in a left-handed hitter, Michael Brantley. We haven't brought this guy in yet. As we were told, we were going to. Oh, wait, they did. Kevin Kiermaier. Oh, wait, we already had him last year. Like, what a disaster this offseason has turned out to be. We've gotten worse, and we're now relying on, we sure the hell hope Vladdy Guerrero Jr. turns it around and gets back to his 40, 50 home runs, 120 RBIs, because if he doesn't, we're going to suck. We're hoping that Bo Bichette has another relatively injury. You know, he was missing 10, 20 games. You know, we're hoping Bo Bichette stays healthy and can get 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. We're hoping George Springer can all of a sudden, you know, turn back father time a little bit and maybe hit like it was 2019 and be a 300 hitter. We're like, yeah, I feel like we're now on a hope and prayer for the Toronto Blue Jays. And Rod, what are you guys doing? Ross Atkins, just do something, please. Yeah, I, I want to give a shout out to Keegan Matheson uh, on, on Twitter here. He covers the Jays and nicely summarized Atkins presser so that uh, I don't think you or I had to waste our time actually hearing these this nails on chalkboard information. This guy should not be a major league baseball general manager. You know, he was asked how many moves are left. And, and to quote, I don't think we'll add three players. I think most likely it's closer to one. Closer to one. That means zero, dumbass? Because better not. Zero, zero is closer to one than three. Um, he said, we'll most likely be outfielder DH category. Still doesn't help your club. Alejandro Kirk is not the answer to any question being asked. Espinal was an all-star to, oh, you still have a job. Cool. Okay. Um, thanks for coming out. Kevin Biggio, I think, is living off his dad's name and Hall of Fame credentials. He has his moments, but I mean, like, hell, bring back Adam Lind. It would allow me to say one of my uh wow. one of my favorite sayings that I used uh, for many years when he was a J, effing Lind. It went from being a negative to a positive because he did turn it around. But like they talk about, you talked about the, the installation of the players and, and they're not missing people. It's the support and the help you talked about. Like the, Matt Haig has been added to the staff as assistant hitting coach. He was a AAA hitting coach in 2023. 10 seasons in the minors and reached the big leagues three times, including as recent as 2015 with Toronto. So you're saying a guy who has less than 10 years experience as a coach is going to be the answer to major league hitting. 
a guy who made it to the bigs three times in 10 years is the answer to your hitting. What the hell happened to Dante Bichette, who was around the team and the team seemed to be hitting better with Dante around versus Guillermo Martinez? Like, give me a break. This team bringing in, going balls to the wall, for lack of a better term, in trying to get Otani and Soto, you know, were used as a pawn in one, was it all smokescreen in the other? It, it just... This team cannot roll out a roster that still has Kevin Biggio listening. Depth is a starter at one and depth at three other positions. I, I'm glad Kiermaier is back. What I don't like hearing is the fact he really didn't have any other offers to sign, which is what led him back to being a Blue Jay or retire. Like, I like Kevin Kiermaier. I like what he did last year. I'm on, I'm on the same side of the fence with Ewan. I'm glad he's back. But holy hell, second choice, third choice, right? No better offers. And well, let's either retire or be a Blue Jay again for a year. I guess I'll be a Blue Jay. Well, that gives you the warm feelings of like, oh, we're wanted. We were a choice destination. Like, crying out loud, like, this front office has done nothing of what they said. This team is not what they said it would be at this moment. And we are so much further away. Like what they made that statement about how this this time right now would be our playoff window where we're winning championships. They said that what four years ago? I'd say we're or further behind. I just want to win a playoff than that. Game. I yeah, want to win a like, playoff game. We haven't even done that yet. I'd say this team is further behind from when that statement was made. This team is uh, it, it, it's a boat in the ocean without an engine. Really you got is. the pieces, but the, the the main thing that should be driving it, an engine and a captain, are missing. Because the engine should be uh, Atkins and Shapiro's the captain guiding the ship. And right now, this is a rudderless ship with none of the things it needs. Here's one of the things that really worried me about the presser. Atkins more or less said, we really like the top five of our lineup. Well, that's great. Last time I checked, a starting lineup is nine hitters long. And we went to going into the offseason, it was in the initial presser after the, you know, the debacle of the playoff series against the Twins and, you know, Atkins threw everybody but himself under the bus. He more or less said, we're looking for three or four bats, three or four bats. Well, you found zero of those bats and you've actually probably gone backwards. You probably need four or five bats because you... You know, I, I'm not a big Matt Chapman guy, but he's probably not going to be back. But that's one semi-potent bat out of the lineup. You now need four or five bats. And you went and got Kiner Falefa? Like, oh, really? We're going to look at Davis Schneider as an everydayer, Kevin Fizio? A, line, a baseball lineup's nine bats long, not four or five. And he he made it sound like he was happy that he only had five bats. And that is just tremendously concerning to me. And of those five bats, as you already referenced them, Alejandro Kirk's considered one of those five bats. Well, Alejandro Kirk is not an elite bat. He's a 250, 260 hitter. Well, those are a dime a dozen. Like, uh, I'm, I am incredibly frustrated with this offseason because it started off with such potential where – Jays are in on Soto. Jays might actually get Otani. Jays are in on this big name. Jays are in that big name. And it, it just has all been a big wah, wah, 
Well, and now they're talking like, well, we're happy where we're at because we're going to have internal regression. Go to hell. Like, open up the wallet and make a significant move. Make this team better because you're probably two years away from not having Bo and Vladdy on this team anymore. And then we're really in up shit creek again. Do oh, they'll something. Be pl- they'll be the Tulsa, Oklahoma Blue Jays. Well, here's the thing. Was it Jordan? Uh, what the hell? Jordan K? Who's who's we pick up? Was that the closer from uh, Hicks? Jordan Hicks. Yeah, thank you. Wow. Um, apparently, he isn't coming back because he's not a fit with the team. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure you can fit a 112 mile per hour fastball into any lineup. Like, how is he not a fit in this lineup? This the depth chart. Our starting four. Mm, it pains me that you have to hope for Yusei Kikuchi to have yet another you know, bounce back season and continue that to be your number four guy. But Gosman, Barrios, Bassett, Kikuchi, three quarters of that I'm fine with. Yeah, the bullpen is pretty much identical to what it was minus Hicks. I'd like Hicks in there over Romano. But the depth chart, again, like Kirk and Jansen at catcher, Vladdy and Cavan at first, Cavan Espinal Schneider at second. Espinal, Biggio, and Falefa at third. Bo Falefa and Santiago at short. Seeing a trend there, they're all the same goddamn names. Left field is, oh, Varsho, Falefa, Schneider. Pretty sure two of those guys have got four positions in the infield also covered. Kiermaier, Springer, and Falefa in center field. Why don't we just sprinkle Falefa's name into every friggin' position here? Because this is, like, best $15 million spent over two years if he can play nine positions in a day and then right field again springer biggio and falefa and our only dh is laddie and then i want to jump right there that is what's concerning to me because laddie's actually our gold glove first baseman we yeah i designated here we don't like this is the easiest position in baseball to fill i just need a guy who can match the ball play 150 games and they can't even fill that like, position. They're know, looking at Jansen and Kirk as their DHs. Oh, oh, hey, on one of those days that Kyra Falefa is in one of the 17 different starting positions, maybe we can have Kevin Biggio be a DH. Like, they can't you, even fill the DH position. You can't DH Kirk or, or um, Jansen because guess what? If the one catching gets hurt and you have to put them into the position, you'll lose your DH which then means you're rotating the rest of your bench into the DH position to cover it. Like, oh, are this you is a disaster. Me? Are you kidding me? This, this is, is a disaster. This death chart has gotten worse since we talked about it, like what, a month and a half ago, two months ago? You like, actually this brought is it up at the garbage. start of last year. You, you brought up their depth chart, and I gave you no credit for this at the time. And you said how piss poor it was. And I'm like, does it matter when you have Bo, Vladdy, you know, Springer, Bichette? Like, I said, does it matter? Well, it does matter. It absolutely matters. You you were on this last year and I slopped it off. I am now on this. It's like, my God, we have, we're going to be rolling out a bunch of dog shit here very quickly because we have no depth. This is terrible. The only reason Atkins could say he's happy with what they have and that they might only add one more player. It's because rest of the big name free agents that are going to do anything of moving the needle for the Jays have told them get bent. 
right? Like that has got to be the reason that like, you, you can't tell me that they haven't spoken to any of the big name free agents that remain because there's a lot, there's a lot of guys that could fill a lot of holes on this roster, right? Like uh, JD Martinez with a great in the four hole on this roster right now as a designated hitter. Yeah. Like we don't need you to run. We don't need you to field. We just need you to mash the ball. Can you do that? And run faster than Kirk. That's all we're asking for. That's not difficult. Like you could, you know, my kid could probably crawl to first faster than Kirk can run it. But I mean, he's nine months. Like I'm just so done with Alejandro Kirk. It, you know, um, Alec Manoa isn't even on the death chart. If you're not going to use him, trade his ass for what you can get right now. Make trades if you can't sign anyone. Mortgage some of the future to win now. Because Jays fans are not going to fill that pretty renovated stadium that you're working on if you're garbage. Those renovations will be for nothing because this team will be the next Oakland A's if you keep it up. Yeah. I, I can't really add much more. Just so disappointed. And for the second or third year in a row, our depth is garbage. <laughs> Moving along, because this is just an infuriating <laughs> conversation. Um, <laughs> and not even like, you know, getting mad at you. Just the Jays bring out that inner ball of rage that just should not come out seven days into the new year and two months before opening pitch or whatever it is. We're, yeah, it's like we've already written off. We're not even season. at We're spring training like... yet, right? Like <laughs> pitchers and catchers haven't even reported. That's next later next month. And moving along. And uh, again, shout out to Keegan Matheson for summarizing Atkins garbage presser. And I think I just closed the one I needed. World Junior Tournament just uh, took place. Here, Trevor, and the one thing I wanted to talk about it is is the World Junior Tournament as big a deal as Canadians, ESN, the media really make it out to be? Obviously, I'm going to preface it right away. For the players, absolutely it is because a lot of these guys are undrafted. They're trying to put on a show for the NHL scouts, GMs, Everyone that's there to watch them play to say, who do I want to pick come June? So, yes, player standpoint, it is a big deal. Outside of that, is this tournament what it is? Is it such a big deal? Here's what I'm going to say. It's not, but it should be. And the reason it should be is because you have so many nations not named Canada now, that are way better at producing young elite talent. The competition of this tournament is so much better than it was, I'm going to even say 10 years ago, 15 years ago. The United States, year after year now, puts out a top-notch roster. Hell, they were by far the best team at this tournament. Congrats to them on winning the gold. Team Sweden every year puts out an absolutely killer roster. Team Finland every year puts out an absolutely killer roster. You've got Czechia, uh, Slovakia put out good rosters. You got Russia, who's not even allowed to go to this tournament right now, who would be putting out a killer roster. Then you got Canada. Like you've got potentially seven really good rosters. You've got, let's say, four really good rosters. Two that should be good, Slovakia, Czechia. Germany surprises quite often and sends over a good team. 
at a time when the competition in this tournament is is harder than ever, it feels like the interest in this tournament is waning way too much. And maybe maybe that's because Canada doesn't go and win the gold every year. Maybe us Canadian fans aren't interested in that tournament because ooh, we might actually see our team lose. What do you mean we're not going to win the gold medal? And maybe we're just not as interested in this tournament because of that. But it should actually be at a time when we're more interested because we're going to see compelling, competitive, exciting hockey. And you've got kids, as you just referenced, this is their opportunity on the grandest stage of them all to significantly impact their draft ratings and, and position. This could significantly impact the rest of their hockey careers. The, the, the players are, this is the greatest thing ever. And all of a sudden there's not as many eyes on it. And that's very disappointing. Well, and, and that's the reason is because the average attendance per game was 58.85 for this tournament. Now, I'm going to say that is a very skewed number because, and I will apologize ahead of time, my Swedish is not there. It was in Gothenburg, Sweden, the Scandinavium, one, the one stadium, the arena for Group A held 12,044. The Florundeberg, Borg, held 6,044. Only 2430 of that is seated. Rest is standing room, okay? So to have 50, just call it 5,900 average attendance is beyond poor. Like looking at the Group A games, uh, Canada-Finland, 9,800. That's because Finland's involved. Finland's right there. That might as well have been a home game for Finland. Every Swedish game was almost sold out. 11,500 against Latvia. You know, Finland-Germany only drew 5,000 fans. Um, Latvia, Canada, 6321. Sweden, Germany, 11512 again. Latvia, Finland, 6400. Sweden, Canada, I mean, that must be a sellout, 11512. Uh, Germany, Latvia, 2650. Uh, Sweden, Finland, sellout, 11512 again. Canada, Germany, 7300. That's poor. But it gets worse. Group B, playing out of the small arena. 984 people for Slovakia, Czechia. 1,300 for U.S. Norway. 986, Slovakia, Switzerland. Like, the numbers are just atrocious. When you get to the um, gold medal, like, no, the relegation game at the Florent or Scandinavium, it was not the big arena, it was only 2,200 people. And I swear, okay, the quarterfinals, Slovakia, Finland, twenty just shy twenty five hundred. Canada, Czechia was only ten thousand. Twenty seven hundred in uh, the small one for U.S. Latvia. Semifinals, Sweden sold out again. Um, U.S. Finland ten thousand five hundred. Bronze medal game didn't even hit ten thousand fans. Sellout for Sweden, U.S. They don't even fully show up for the medal round, for the playoffs. Like, it's frustrating to see, like, Ottawa's hosting next year's tournament. And it's it's going to be no different. It's no different than it, when it, it is. In, it's going to be Edmonton it's been like and that Red for Deer. a while. Yeah, Edmonton Red Deer. Right now, obviously, the summer tournament, a little bit harder because you had COVID and you're doing the World Juniors in the summertime when people 
leave, go on vacation because kids are out of school. Um, so the attendance wasn't great for that. But any other tournament, and it doesn't matter where it is in the world, clearly. Like this record, this tournament set a record for attendance through the gate. There was 29 games. And it's just, it's disappointing to see the lack of support that they're getting. Right. And you got to remember, a lot of these tickets are probably either family and or other teams getting the tickets to go and watch their opponents. Because how many times do you see, you know, Team Sweden uh, go watching a, one of their group opponents play because they want to scout them because they can't? It just so much is put into this tournament, but I don't think it's as big a deal as obviously TSN is going to hype it up because they're they have the broadcast rights, but. It just seems to be, yeah, kind of tournament on the schedule. I'm very interested to see what happens when the tournament's back in Canada next year, and not because I'm not beating on our chest saying we're better than anyone else, because the last few years the attendance in the Canada ones hosted have been lower as well. And I'm very interested to see what happens when it goes to Ottawa, because Ottawa is – of the NHL markets, Ottawa is one of the more wishy-washy markets when it comes to attendance for their own team. And I actually think there's going to be challenges with attendance outside of the Canada games, the U.S. games. Those are going to draw huge numbers. But I think we're going to have an attendance issue next year in Ottawa as well. They don't even know where the Group B is being played yet. I'm assuming TD it's going to be played where the – Which is TD the yeah, and that's it's, where the Ottawa 67s play. Yeah, 6,500 so, seats in there. I, I'm very interested to see what the attendance looks like next year because this has kind of been a trend. Like, I would say it was what probably 2016, 2017 when this tournament was at its heyday. And, you know, it was sellouts in almost every game, didn't matter who was playing in Canada. And that's significantly declined. And it's, they're just, it doesn't have the luster for the players. It does. Like, you can't tell me the, Team USA players didn't think that was the greatest moment of their lives when they won the gold medal this year. Or when Canada won it last year, you can't tell me Connor Bedard didn't consider that one of his greatest achievements of his lifetime. For the players, it's still there. It just, we got to get more, uh, people got to get interested in this tournament again because it is phenomenal hockey. It's exciting hockey. It's kids with a passion playing. It's, it's what's the most exciting about it is because it's, you know, 17, 18, 19 year olds, it's kids that make mistakes that leads to an exciting brand of hockey. Like this is an absolutely phenomenal tournament to watch, but I will fully admit I'm just as guilty as anybody. I hardly watched any of it this year. It, it went from a Christmas tradition where I watched every game to, I hardly watched any games this year. It, Something has happened, and I don't know if it's just people are tired of it because it is so overhyped in Canada. I don't know if it's because Canada doesn't win every year. People are like, do I really want to watch Canada maybe lose? You know, maybe that's drawing viewers off. But it's too bad because this is an absolutely phenomenal tournament. And, you know, you're you're kind of complaining about 6,000 people as your average attendance is being bad. I, I don't know that it's terrible. I don't like that they weren't drawing any in that other building, but I'm interested to see what happens next year in Canada. Do we beat that? You know, say we have a Latvia-Germany game, and I know we can't, but say there's a Latvia-Germany game 
being played at, you know, where the Ottawa 67s play, is there going to be more than a couple hundred people there? I don't know that there would be, but I think that's part of the problem of this tournament now. Here's like, here's the thing. Just I, while you were talking about that and I was listening, looked up the two locations of the arenas in Ottawa. Let's talk about that. Like the TD place one is more central to downtown Ottawa, which means your accommodations are going to be closer. More things to do as a fan traveling from the U S Sweden, Finland, Czechia, Slovakia, all those other places. If you are traveling TD place, which is the smaller arena is going to have the more things around it where it's a 30 minute drive from TD place to the Canadian tire center, which is outside of Ottawa, like the downtown as a fan, if you want to go to like the game at the Canadian tire center on a Saturday and then go to the group, like you're going to be rushing. Like you can't do that where, you know, if it was closer together, you can maybe get both games in or, or whatever it is. It just, I know they were going to use the 67s arena because it's junior hockey use it as well. There's not a lot around the Canadian Tire Center. And that's one of the big things about the Senators is trying to get a downtown arena because it's for me, for an NHL team, it's away from downtown, which is kind of unheard of when you think about it. It's going to be interesting just because I think we hear how much about this great tournament, great tournament, but you just don't see the people showing up for it. And that's, an unfortunate thing because you look at Latvia may get stomped by a lot of teams in the tournament. They don't get relegated a lot of times, but they, they put on, they, they produce players. There's more Latvian players getting drafted to the NHL every year. Um, It's an interesting tournament to watch, but it is, you know, depending on where, where it is. I was off so I could watch some of the games because it was during the day. But if you're not, you're stuck going, Oh, well, I saw the score. I don't need to watch it, right? Or, you know, it, it'll be prime time in Canada. Like, they can go after work. But, again, you need people to show up. How many people after work in the holiday season are going to want to get, you know, leave downtown, maybe drive 30 minutes the other direction from Canada Tire or Canadian Tire Center to drive then an hour back to go watch the game? It's going to be tough. And this tournament – is really good. Two of the best hockey games I've ever been to in my life were when Calgary last hosted this tournament, uh, 2008-ish, I can't remember the exact year. Two of the best games I ever went to were this tournament. One of them was a Canada-Russia game where Canada came storming back from down 5-1 to almost tie it, ended up losing 6-5. It was a game Canada lost. A quarterfinal loss is probably one of the most exciting hockey games I've ever been to. And I also got the opportunity to go to the Russia-Sweden gold medal game that year when because Zibanejad had scored, I think it was double overtime to win one nothing, and the Saddle Dome went crazy. The fact that Sweden had just beaten Russia, everybody was so pro-Sweden, and, and the stadium went crazy. It was one of the best hockey games I'd ever been to. People are missing out by not going to this tournament because it is just amazingly exciting hockey, but and I already referenced this, I've kind of lost some of my interest the last few years, and they got to figure out a way to get that back because you can't lose diehard hockey fans like you and I to not wanting to watch this tournament because then you got a real problem. So they have to 
that I have no idea what the, the solution is. Maybe TSN needs to dial back the coverage of it a little bit and, you know, try to, I don't know, regain the excitement somehow, but you're missing out by not watching this, but I'm not the only one who's dialed back on it. Yeah. And part of what needs to get dialed back on is the expectations and people's reactions to this. Cause these are oh, yeah. teenagers. Like, are you kidding me? They're kids. They're teenagers. They're not professionals. Calm the F down because it is way overboard on what people, how people are reacting to this. It is just ridiculous. Oh, the, the uproar that in Canada after we got eliminated, you know, shockingly in the quarterfinals was in Slovakia or Czechia. I can't remember. You know, the, uh, the bunk kid gets an unlucky shot, goes off his skate. They score the winning goal with 11 seconds left. The poor bunk kid, he had to shut down his social media because he got just tirated online. And you effing loser, you just cost us any chance at the gold. Like that type of garbage is... On the only the loser is the person sending that message. Exactly. The only loser is the people who are ripping on these kids, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. They're teenagers. They're not even adults. And you're ripping on them because they they lost a hockey game. Who gives a shit if they lost a hockey game? Yeah. Like, grow up. That was disgusting. I mean, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, it's uh, it was a bit of a... I mean, it is what it is. And I think that part of it, too, is, again goes back to it being hyped as this be-all, end-all, and the Canadian dom- we Canada does not dominate hockey anymore. A- as Canadians, as the people that cover get over it. We are I would not, argue USA the, we dominates not, it now. We are not the dominant faction when it comes to hockey in the world scene anymore. And that should be looked at as a good thing, because I'm sorry, there is nothing more boring than watching Canada, U.S. all the time, or Canada, Sweden, U.S., Russia. Like, some of these other nations that we wouldn't expect to have been hockey countries are stepping up and playing better because the game is growing. So get over it. It's not the be-all, end-all. Give the sweat stain on your couch a chance to dry out. Get a life. Yeah, this is one that I wanted to talk about that show because it was just a little bit of a, a frustrating thing when it came to how the reaction to Canada lost, but also how the tournament is sitting. Like it's, and because I think Canada always thinks that they are the be all and end all of hockey, it, it, it's gone away. But I don't see it in the other the other countries where it, it uh, even in Canada the games aren't attended, and if it's that big of a tournament, it should be a sellout. They want to, if they wanted to continue to being this big, huge thing, the people need to show up. They need to, yeah. they need to show up and buy tickets because otherwise, what's the point of having it? Yeah, but covered a lot of stuff today. It was a big, big mixed bag of uh, "Are you kidding me?" and new topics okay. for the new year. I'm sure, as the new year goes on, we'll continue to be hurt by our Toronto Blue Jays and. I'll be happy with my Vancouver Canucks and Trevor will be uh, content with what the team is in, in Calgary with the flames. I, I don't know if it's content or just a realization of what it is this year. I have realistic expectations of what we yeah. are. Right? I, I'm not, uh, I can, I can come to terms with the fact that my team's not very good. My team's in transition. I'm going to enjoy that transition. I'm, 
you know, whether they trade players or don't trade players, I'm okay with where I'm at. I'm not a delusional Canuck fan who thinks that once every decade we have a good team and all of a sudden we're going to win a Stanley Cup. Well, that's just I've never happen, said that. Fellas. I've never said that. Happen. I, said, I never said it. I disagree with Logan Paul uh, on what he said on Monday Night Raw <laughs> from Vancouver. But I, I am ha- I'm saying I'm happy with what the Canucks are doing. For everyone that said there was a regression and they're going to fall off and miss the playoffs, it, it hasn't happened yet. I'm happy that we beat the New Jersey Devils in New Jersey for one of the first times in 90 years. Uh, what feels like it's been a rough ride against the Devils, but uh, yeah, it, lots of stuff coming up. Obviously, it's a new year, lots of sports to talk about. We're going to enjoy it. Uh, make sure you head over to bellyup.com, uh, check out all the articles, all the podcasts, check out Belly Up Sports, tons of content. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.